Alpha. This is episode 104, and we have a very special guest on. Uh, his name is Bo Kim. Uh, so Bo is a buy and hold real estate investor based in Southern California and has been working in the accounting industry for the past seven years. Bo got his start in real estate investing by house hacking his primary residence in Orange County and since then has picked up 63 units across the Midwest markets of Kansas City, Indianapolis and Little Rock using various methods such as sellers financing, uh, Burr method, uh, HELOC, delay financing, and private lending. Uh, he is also the host of the Bigger Cash Flow podcast, which of course you can find, I'm sure, on iTunes. And uh, he, the show is basically aimed to help newbie real estate investors take back control of their finances. Uh, he's an avid writer on his blog that you can find on biggercashflow.com, uh, uh, where he shares tips and tricks on achieving freedom from time, location, and money. So again, uh, a lot of great, great things we're going to be covering today. If you're looking to learn about real estate investing using all these different strategies, this is going to be a show for you. And make sure to connect with Bo on Instagram. That's going to be on Bigger Cash Flow on Instagram. Of course, all these links to the website and Instagram is going to be down below for you to, to check. So Bo, I really appreciate you joining me today on this episode. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. That's no problem. It's, it's my pleasure too. So uh, <clears throat> look, okay, so where do we start? Kind of uh, Southern California. So we, we get the market. Is, is that where you currently are at the moment, right? You're still there? Yeah. So this is where I live. But in terms of the investing, I invest in the Midwest. Got it. I got it. Okay. We're going to cover that. Okay. So coming back to, to your kind of beginning stages, because I think audience would love to explore like the you know, those baby steps that you took in the beginning, you know, to kind of educate yourself about real estate investing. So can you explain us, I mean, why have you decided to follow the path of real estate investing and how did it happen for you personally? Yeah, I'm definitely uh, happy to share my journey. I guess it really starts when I was much younger and I've always been interested in real estate investing, but I just didn't know the means. I knew that I wanted to buy real estate uh, because I've read somewhere that a lot of the millionaires, something like 90% of millionaires in the United States were generated through real estate. So I was like, okay, maybe that is the way to go. So I had that on the back of my mind, but I kind of forgot about it. And when I got married and my wife and I, we were looking to buy our first residence, I was just buying it because it gave me that warm and fuzzy feeling. It wasn't because I was trying to get cash flow or anything like that. I wasn't educated at that point. So she and I, we bought a new build in Southern California, three bedroom, three bath. We're like, hey, this is perfect for us. So we are living in it and we realized we don't need the extra bathroom and bedroom. So we actually rented that one out to one of our family members. And the family member was paying about $750 in rent just for the room. And just to kind of share more perspective, I believe I was paying about $1,600 for my apartment and my mortgage was about $2,500. Um, so if somebody pays $750, it drastically reduces my expenses very close to what I was paying for my apartment uh, previously. So that was like a light bulb moment for me. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm able to actually save on taxes. I'm, I'm an accountant. So that was kind of like a important piece for me. It's like, how can I reduce my taxes? And I was also able to get mortgage pay down and build some equity. 
And I was able to get a much larger space because I used to live in a one bedroom, one bath apartment. So now I'm in a three bed, three bath. And the cost isn't that much different. It was only about $200 more out of pocket. And I'm basically leveraging the bank's money to lock in these finances at the current interest rate. So I was like, hey, this is also like a hedge against inflation. So all of these things started to click for me. And I started to go down this rabbit hole of researching real estate investing because I wanted to buy more. I just knew I couldn't buy more in Southern California because it's so darn expensive, but I wanted to invest. So as I started researching it, a lot of people started talking about like the four or five different ways that rental properties pay you with the cash flow, tax benefits, depreciation, all of that. So I was like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. This is what I was looking for. But there were a couple of different criteria, like the price point needed to make sense, the rent to value it had to have good landlord uh, favorable laws. So all of this brought me to the Midwest in the United States. So there was like a belt in the United States around the central area where it had good rent to value, it had good landlord favorable laws, uh, the price points were favorable, and there was good jobs and the economies were pretty strong. So, okay, so I started researching those areas, started making a ton of calls, and then I started my journey of buying my first property. Mm, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so the first property that you've been uh, having was the house hack, right? So can you can you talk about your experience uh, for a little bit? How was it to, in, your, in, in that situation, to rent it to your, like, family member? I mean, was it, would you recommend to, to do something like that for the people who are watching and they're looking to get involved with their first property by, by house hacking it. Is that a good strategy or just getting a, uh, you know, a, a tenant from, you know, just from, uh, from an ad would be a good, good thing to do. Yeah. That that's interesting. Uh, Martinez, because I wasn't trying to house hack. I didn't even know the term and I just <laughs> yeah. happened to do it because there was an extra bedroom and bathroom. But I think for sure, if you're living in a experience, expensive coastal market like I am, whether you're on the West Coast for the United States or the East Coast or primarily any A-class cities uh, all across the world, the rent to value is not going to make sense where you're not going to cash flow. And cash flow is going to be huge when you're a real estate investor. So for that reason, I think house hacking is perfect because it allows you to invest in an expensive market and just put your money to work. However, there are drawbacks, right? You have to either live with a person if you're renting by the room, or you have to be a landlord if, if you're renting a duplex, tri, or a quadplex. So there, there are those kind of drawbacks um, that you need to consider. You're basically a landlord living next door, I should say. Mm -hmm. So if you're okay with that, you know, talk with your significant other, or if you're investing yourself, just really you know, ask yourself if you are okay with that lifestyle. If you are, I highly recommend it. Otherwise, do what I did. Invest in the, in the Midwest. I have a lot of friends that I got into real estate investing just by sharing my story. And basically, they also are renters. So they rent a room from somebody else or they live with roommates. So they are pretty frugal. They save a lot and they deploy all of that cash back into the Midwest and they're making a lot of cash flow. And if you don't have a big family, if you're not married, if you're single, I think that's also a great way to get started is you don't have to have 
thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars to get started. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So the second property, okay, just uh, I would just want to ask you briefly, what was your second property? Like how many units are we talking about? Yeah, it was a single family property. It definitely okay. started small. Um, this was my first property in Kansas City. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't pay a mentor. I didn't take a course, anything like that. So it was just me thinking, hey, I can figure this out. So by this time, I probably read about 20 books on real estate investing. Mm -hmm. It gave me a good foundation of what to look for and to speak intelligently to inspectors, agents, property managers in terms of my questions, but I still didn't know anything. So I probably made about, I don't know, at least 60 calls to different property managers, agents, contractors in the area, just to continue to educate myself. And this was awesome because as I continue to make more calls, the more I gained clarity in terms of what I wanted. So, you know, a property manager that has the best reviews that works for John Doe might not really work for me and what I'm trying to do. And through that conversation, I take notes. I'm like, okay, this is what I want. This is what I want the communication style to be. This is what I want the property management portal to look like and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I found one turnkey provider. And for those of you who are listening that may not know, turnkey providers are kind of like a all-in-one shop, right? They find the property, they rehab it for you. They put a tenant in place and then they hand off the keys to you. So basically all you have to do is turn the key and you start cash flowing. So that concept was even more exciting for me because I didn't know how to swing a hammer, nor did I want to learn that whole side of the business. So I just wanted to cash flow from day one. So I met this turnkey provider. I bought a property, believe it or not, for $66,000. So, and it rented for eight fifty. dollars So the cash flow was about 250 a month after all expenses paid and all reserves. I'm not talking about some of these people online. They're like, my gross cash flow is like $800 a month or whatever it might be. That's, you know, baloney, right? You, you have your expenses and you have your reserves that you need to put away in case of an emergency or vacancy mm -hmm. repairs. I mean, after the sorry, in the end of the day, it's just a house. How much money you can make on a one single house, unless it's a, it's a mansion and it rents for millions of dollars, but still there's going to be a million dollars in expenses that you still have to spend. Exactly, exactly. So with this property, rented it for $850, um, and everything was going good, uh, but I definitely ran into some hiccups along the way. I don't know if you want me to dive into that, sure, but please, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely some lessons learned there. So this was the only property out of all my portfolio where I actually lost money on. And I, and I did the math. It was about $10,000. And if I really break it down, number one, I basically did not vet out the provider enough. So I thought I did my due diligence. I actually flew out to Kansas City. It's not like I just bought on blind trust. Mm -hmm. I'm an auditor by trade. So I like to check and verify documents and things like that. So I went over there, I went to the office, make sure that it's an actual office and people are working there. And they gave me a tour of their current properties and I picked the one that I wanted to buy for $66,000. So actually the sales process was super smooth. However, in a turnkey company, there's the sales side. And once you've closed, you get handed off to the property management side. Now the property management side is what I hop on my podcast, you live and die by your property manager. 
you can buy the best property in the block, but if you have a really bad property manager, you're going to bleed out slowly, meaning you're going to lose money over time. So I didn't understand this concept fully. And on the property management side, as soon as they took over, some red flags came up. You know, the property manager that I was assigned to kept switching. So there was a lot of turnover in that company. I also asked them how many people are on staff. There was about six people on staff managing about 450 units to wow. 500 units. And, and I heard that it's the rule of thumb is maybe like one person per 100 units. So that wasn't too alarming. However, the rate of turnover and also the rate at which they're adding properties. So to give more perspective, they added 350 units to their property management portfolio in just two years. So I don't think they really had their footing in the, in the ground before they added those properties, which created a lot of issues, which I'll get into. So those were some red flags, and but they had a 90-day warranty for turnkey uh, purchasers where they make any repairs on maintenance, and they also cover the rent costs if the tenants do not pay because they're the ones who supply the tenants. So I was like, okay, I'm good. And 90 days, I was good. But on the, like the 95th day, as soon as the warranty was over, I get this work order saying, hey, there's some issues in the basement, but they were super minor, like 80 bucks, 100 bucks. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to pay for it. I have set aside money for the reserves. However, month four, they say, hey, the tenant is having some difficulties paying the rent. You're not going to get rents this month. Your options are to file an eviction or hold off and try to work out a payment plan. And for me, the tenant was relatively new. They only placed the tenant right before I bought it. So I, they were only in there for like four months. So I was very confused of why they were already having difficulties if they were properly vetted. So I was like, hey, I, I don't want to deal with an eviction right now. This is me 2000 miles away. Let's try to work out a payment plan. And that's what the PM suggested as well. Well, it actually turned out that this is way, way, way later. Somebody from the property management company felt bad for me and they gave me the inside scoop that they placed a tenant that was unqualified. They had a prior eviction and they didn't meet three times the monthly rent in income. They were actually like working in the band of like a bar, like a drummer or something. So they were basically making minimum wage and tips, which was not enough to cover the rent. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, definitely this was something that I couldn't have predicted. I mean, I asked those questions. I looked at their policies and procedures, but if they're going to try to hide things from me, then I can't really uncover every rock, right? But just some lessons to be shared with your listeners is you really got to vet the PM themselves. So knowing what I know now, if there's such a property company that's in their infancy, they've only been around for four years and they have this many doors, like 450 to 500, and there's constant turnover. Even if they have the best systems in the world on paper, the ability to execute is not there. So I'm not going to go with that property management company. Yeah, well, the theory theory might be completely different from reality, basically. We did, that's what happened in your case. I mean, exactly. and, and the thing is, like, proper with the property management, there is one job that you're supposed to do good, you know, is, like, put the right tenant in place. And, I mean, you know, if that's, if that's not working, I mean, you know. 
<laughs> there is pretty much nothing else you can do with them, you know. So yeah, but I have a few questions that I wanted to ask you if we, if we can answer some of those, uh, including this one, uh, you know, shortly. Uh, very like if you can give me a short answer on that also. Uh, you know, you mentioned that like the first property was like kind of house hacking strategy, which you never knew about before. And then you moved and you purchased this Kansas City, this, you know, this, this house. So, and we talked about, you know, kind of the, the beginning stages and we said, you know, for people who are kind of entry point into real estate as a house hacking. So from your personal experience, would you consider like house hacking is a better strategy or just keeping that and investing into like buying a house instead, like for the people who are watching and they want to get involved with the real estate? Yeah. So in, in short, it depends on if you're dead set on investing in your local market, then house hacking is the way to go, right? Because you, you're going to have to put so much money down for the property to cash flow in an expensive market. Or if you live in the Midwest, it's even better than you can just buy rental properties. On the other side, uh, if you're okay with investing remotely, and I'm talking about the United States, I don't know how it is for the rest of the world. But if you're okay investing remotely, then I highly recommend that you just start there as well. Mm -hmm. So, and the other question that I had for you is uh, for the property management. So if, if I'm looking to buy a house, should I consider the property management or should I you know, manage my own property myself? I mean, because it's, you know, in some case, I mean, there's just so much money left for the property manager. And like, like in your case, you might come across the people uh, who you never came across with before. And again, I'm very happy that you shared the lesson, which of course, it's going to be beneficial for people who are listening. But there's a lot of people who are not going to be listening to the episode and they, they're going to be making those mistakes with the property management. And that's, that money is, is going to be gone and the tenant is still going to be in who is not going to pay in the rent. So is it better to kind of, you know, manage the property itself, learn the trades before you hire a property manager or just hire it from, from a get-go? Yeah, I would say it depends. It depends on how much you want to scale as well. For me right now, I'm at 63 units and I can't imagine me, mm -hmm. unless I wanted to create a property management business on the side, managing all of my properties, mm -hmm. I would probably save money because I'm probably paying a couple thousand dollars at minimum just to the property managers who manage my property. So yeah, I could increase my bottom line, but there are efficiencies gained from hiring a property manager who has done this for decades, along with have hundreds of units, right? What they see in other properties with other owners, they can share those best practices with me. And I can be an expert in what I do best, which is finding deals, flipping them and holding them for a long time and just really optimizing the cash flow. That is my focus. I can go into the property management side and learn how to deal with contractors, mm -hmm. you know, turns and things like that, or finding tenants, but I'm not going to be as good as them because I also have to learn the local laws and regulations, yeah. right? That's another consideration. It, it's just I, too much for you to handle. Yeah. 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 Got it. So the third property, can you talk about that? What was that third property like for you? Yeah. So I got to think about the third one. Well, we can skip. We can go to the fourth one if you want. Yeah, it's, the, it's, the, the, was it's there, been a was while. There, was there was there single family home, like houses? Uh, you, you just kept buying those, or you have you moved to like uh, like a commercial, like four units and, and up? Like how many of the commercial units do you have? Like commercial properties. Yeah. yeah. So commercial five units and above. I have one ten unit property, and I also have one sixteen unit apartment. So. Yeah. 
I, I would say generally speaking, those actually came at the latter phases of my portfolio. So in the beginning, I was just buying single families and duplexes. I, I do like my duplexes. And later on, when the opportunity came, I bought a 10 unit and a 16 unit. Got it. So what is the main strategy that you're using? Because you mentioned you're, you're flipping some of the houses. So you're flipping and selling those and you're holding some of those. So like how many, so what is your current strategy that you're using? Are you just holding the properties or are you still flipping the deals also? Yeah, I'm mainly a buy and hold investor. I, I've actually done some wholesaling assignments and flipping like fix and flip. Mm -hmm. um, in my portfolio. However, I'm all about buy and hold for long-term cash flow because that's how you get out of the rat race, right? Flipping, it's good. You know, you make $30,000, $40,000 of chunks of cash, but I have to continuously do that. And it's a second job for me. Mm -hmm. So that's my main strategy is, is the buy and hold. Got it. And it's a good strategy, you know? You, you, you play on again on an income on appreciation and but the question that I wanted to ask is is you, you mentioned about the belt you know across across the states which is like one of those uh, belts dots is, or, or you know whatever you want to call it is Kansas City right so because you know when I come across a lot of real estate investors syndicators multifamily single family you know because of the baby boomer trend there's a lot of people kind of looking for the properties as no south southeast southwest so how have you looked at other states before kind of making decision into Kansas City and, and why have you made the decision to invest in Kansas City or, you know, not other states at the same time? Yeah, so I did a ton of research when I first began. And at the time when I was starting, at least, um, I don't think Arizona really popped off or nor did Florida at that time, uh, which is those boomer, baby boomer states where a lot of you know, 60, 70 retirees are moving to those states. With Kansas City and Indianapolis, they really just had strong fundamentals. They had year-over-year -year population growth. The jobs were growing as well after, you know, the, the crash of 08. And also, it's, it's very diverse. Like Detroit, you just have the auto manufacturers. But in Kansas City, you have your healthcare, you have your schools, you have um, lots of public businesses, um, and logistics, like transportation. So it's like basically uh, Amazon, Delta, FedEx, all, all those guys are there. So I, I, I wanted to look at those fundamentals. And then the price point was important to me. So for me, I, I don't know if your listeners are familiar, but the velocity of capital was important to me as well. Yeah, I can make maybe 20% a year doing one property, annualized, but if I can do four of those deals um, in Kansas City, then the annualized return is much, much more greater. So what I wanted to focus on is, is there a good source of deals? Like Little Rock is also a good cash flow market, but it's not as active as Kansas City. So if I can find 10 leads in Kansas City, I'll probably find two in Little Rock. So that is why I focused on the Midwest markets where there's heavy activities and the fundamentals of economies are very favorable to me. Mm, okay, got it. So looking at these current market conditions and I mean, I'm sure you have a business plan in place, which uh, it, it says how many units you're planning to acquire this year. And maybe we can talk about that too. But like how many deals do you have currently coming on like in the pipeline and uh, what are you planning to close like, uh, you know, in upcoming months? Yeah, so January and February was super busy for me. And this is pre-COVID. I was actually closing like four deals a month. 
and I was working on that 16 unit. So I was really busy. And then once COVID hit, I kind of put the brakes on everything. And this isn't just because I was like scared or anything like that, but I have grown in three years from zero to 63 units so fast. I actually wanted to take a pause and reevaluate my systems and take a look at and prune out which properties are doing well as expected or if there's something wrong, right? Really optimizing the cash flow. And when COVID hit, I was like, this is the perfect time so I can refinance some of my properties that are doing well, that have appreciated, and I don't want to take on additional risk. So I took a pause there, but during that time, I continued to do a couple more flips. So I did three fix and flips during that time, continuously making uh, chunks of cash and really waiting for when I can go back in. Now, I've been waiting. I've only bought two additional actually three additional properties since the start of COVID, uh, buy and hold properties. But other than that, I've been waiting on the sidelines patiently just because it's crazy. Like after the initial stock market dip and once it kind of had a V rebound, the markets got so hot. Like people, out-of-state investors are buying left and right, Mm -hmm. often overpaying $10,000 above my maximum allowable offer. So I know that these guys are temporary. They're going to kind of disappear in a couple of years. I, I've been through that phase. But for me, I can't overpay if I'm trying to buy three, four deals a month, right? For them, if they're buying one deal a month, uh, one deal a month or even one deal a year, they can overpay because it's not going to hurt them as much. But for me, it hurts every time I have to overpay. So yeah, to answer your question, I'm not buying a ton right now. I'm just patiently waiting. I do have what I call my dry powder, um, just capital waiting to deploy once the right deal comes. Got it, got it. And what that right deal should look like? I mean, are you going to be looking for multifamily properties or single family houses? You're going to be looking for flips? Like what is going to be your strategy going further now? Yeah, so flips make a lot of sense in this market right now because the rising tide raises all boats. Everybody's overpaying left and right. The interest is staying low. Mm -hmm. People seem optimistic. I don't know what results the elections are going to bring in terms of impact to the real estate market. However, for now, you know, people are overpaying for my flips. You know, if they're overpaying for rentals, they're overpaying for my flips. So I'm going to continue to do the flips. In terms of the buy and hold, I have a very set criteria in terms of the cash flow numbers I want to hit. And basically, I'm doing the birth strategy, so where I need to refinance my initial capital. So as long as I can do that, I have since kind of negotiated a little bit with myself. I used to, hey, I need to refi all my money out. If I am able to leave five, ten thousand $10,000 in the deal, I'm okay with it these days for a good property, not in war zones. However, other than that, I'm just staying put. If the numbers work, I'm still going to buy in this market. Otherwise, I'm just going to wait. And are you planning to invest in some other states in the future too? Yeah, I I am looking at other states like Oklahoma City is one that's interesting to me. However, there's definitely economies of scale because I've invested so heavy in Indianapolis, Kansas City and Little Rock. I've built really, really good relationships with everybody. So on a quick call, if I have a flip lead, I can send two contractors there on the same day, have an inspection, meet the property, property manager, and it's a whole smooth process. I just send a couple emails 
and I'm done. I'm on autopilot. But I know that if I enter a new market, I got to build relationships, yeah. break bread with the people. And, you know, it, it takes time to do that. So um, for those reasons, there would have to be a really, really strong reason. Like I can buy like a 50 unit at a discount. Maybe I'll hop in there. But if it's for one or two deals, I could still probably find those in my markets. Got it. Got it. So in this given time, what will be kind of your advice for a newbie, you know, for a person who is just, uh, you know, watching this episode right now and thinking like, hey, it, it sounds like it's a good market, a good time to be involved with the real estate due to the low interest rates. Maybe it's harder to find some deals or maybe, you know, it is in the places that they live. But what will be kind of your advice? I mean, during the COVID times right now? Yeah, I would say continuously educate yourself so that you are very clear on what you're looking for. I probably talk to three or four investors a week on uh, my podcast or my website. They reach out to me and I just give them my cell phone number and we chat for like an hour. And I every time I ask them, they're like, hey, Bo, like, how did you scale up? I want to do what you do. But they're really not clear on the lifestyle, the end goal that they have in mind of what they want. Or if a property falls on their lap, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know if it's a good deal or bad deal. However, if, if they took my advice and they underwrote, like sign up with 10 wholesalers in Indianapolis and they underwrote every single deal that came their way, if a real one comes their way, they know immediately, hey, I've looked at the other 10, they're crap, but this one's a winner. So I'm going to make an offer on it. However, if they don't, it's, it's about putting in work. It's practicing your free throws so that you know that when the real, you know, game on the line finals, I'm a Laker fan. So we're in the finals right now. So I'm all about the basketball reference, but you know, game on the line, you put in those hours at practice. So when the real deal comes, you're going to hit those shots. So, you know, once you underwrote those 10 wholesale deals that didn't work for you, when the real one comes, you make a good offer and you close on it fast. So that would be my advice. There you go. So talking about education, I know we have the, a podcast called Bigger Cash Flow, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what would you recommend for people? Because in this day and age, we live in a kind of information age, right? Digital technology, everything is in our fingertips. But due to that, there is maybe too much information sometimes and people, because of that, people get confused. You know, they just don't know where to start. So what would you kind of recommend for people who are watching, they want to get involved with real estate? Like what will be kind of stepping stones for them to educate about real estate investing? I love, love, love this question because I wholeheartedly feel the same way. And this goes for even my listeners on the Bigger Cashflow podcast. Um, my original intent wasn't to create a big audience. Honestly, I, I talk about this on my podcast. The reason why I created it is I wanted to leave a legacy for my future kids to listen back to and say, hey, this is what, you know, I was thinking about when I was this age and about real estate investing, life in general, all of that. Well, now I have audiences and sometimes I, I want to help them, but I feel like they're in this trap of listening to as many podcasts, audiobooks, and books as possible. And they're just super motivated, but there's no action. So you can have the best plan in the world. If you don't execute, adjust, and re-execute, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to be that person with the million dollar idea in your head that never took off. So, you know, for me, it's like, listen to the podcast. It's awesome, but go ahead and take action. Now you might be wondering, how do you take action? Let me give you some tangible advice. 
listen to the podcast or, you know, find different people like Martinez, or if you like my content and reach out to them and find even one or two people who are a couple steps ahead of you, who are doing what you want to do in the future and pick their brain so that you can reverse engineer them. They don't necessarily have to be your on-call mentor that walk you step-by-step step through life. You can get a lot of that through listening to them on the podcast, audiobooks, or what have you. But you got to find somebody who you want to model your business after and reverse engineer it because they're already there. And by the time you get there, they're going to be another couple steps ahead of you and you can continue to model after them. Or maybe at that time, you model after somebody else. Maybe Gary Vee is somebody that you want to model after and then you go chase them. So you constantly chase the people that you want to model yourself after is, is what I'm doing. Basically, when I first started, I found somebody who had 20 units in Indianapolis, two years, I had more units than them. He and I, we still talk to this day. And now he comes to me asking me, Hey, who's your contractor? Who's your property manager? What do you think about this area? Um, so it, it's constantly just challenging yourself and moving up. Yeah, yeah, got it. That's great advice. And I love the fact that you can overgrow the people that you're taking advice from, you know, so yeah, awesome, awesome. So listen, uh, like we connected through social media and, um, you know, it's again, it's one of those great places to be in, because at the same time, you can network, you know, you can meet a lot of people, you can have them on your own personal podcast, or you can pick their brain, you can make connections, so like raise capital, there is different things that you can do with, with people through social media, right? And one of the other things is kind of, you know, deal sourcing. So like, can you talk about the ways that you're able to find the deals? I'm sure there's some, you know, realtors, agents involved, local in Kansas City, but uh, from social media standpoint, how has that helped you to kind of scale your business? Yeah, I've actually bought deals from Facebook and Instagram, actually. Like Instagram, people would send me deals and be like, hey, Bo, like, I know you invest in Indianapolis. I'm not buying this. Feel free to take a look. And I may have passed on it or I may have bought it, but that's another lead for me. Facebook, um, I'm probably in about 10 different marketplaces. And Facebook is, is kind of like Craigslist and the MLS for me. Just people just like throw deals on there and see what sticks. But for me, <clears throat> I'm looking for patterns. So there was this guy, this is an interesting story, who was selling this one property. I actually didn't end up getting it. However, I just said, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to learn from you because it looks like you're where I want to go. And this guy was from New York and he actually had about 12 units in Indianapolis. So I ended up buying two of his other units that he didn't put on Facebook. He didn't even think about selling, but I talked him into it because I gave him the right price. For me, the numbers still work, so I bought them. So you really never know when those deals are going to come from. And those are off market. I didn't have to pay a realtor. And those are deals that I wasn't in competition with anybody else. Um, so social media has done wonders for me. Um, from another perspective, it's it's becoming the famous person. Um, so I, I wasn't, again, looking to be famous or grow an audience or anything like that. I just wanted to leave a trail of breadcrumbs for future generations to follow. But it, it just grew organically and people started asking me questions. And I am about the Zig Ziglar mindset. If you help enough uh, people get what they want, you'll get what you want as well. I'm, I'm really about that mindset. And for that reason is what I, why I take calls and really help newbie investors. And 
not all of them do, but maybe one out of the 10 come back to me and connect me to another person who can help me, or they actually become my private money lenders. Like there's different ways we can all help each other. If we first prioritize helping people, not about, hey, if I help Joe, he's probably going to be able to give me X, Y, Z in return. Um, if I, if you think of it that way, it's too calculated. It's very, yeah. you know, there's no beauty in that. Yeah, it's so. not natural. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just provide the value. Just be in service. That's one of the mentors that uh, taught me the lesson. It was like just be in service. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So it was like just it was add like, value. You know, if you if you believe in something, uh, of course, we're not going to talk religion. But he was like, look, God was put in here to be in service, and he said that's exactly what you're supposed to do as well. Oh, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah, I, I'm all about that. And, you know, wh- whether you call it, you know, spiritual or karma or whatever you call it, I think it does come back to you. Yeah. But, you know, don't set out looking for it, but just give and add value to as many people as you can. Definitely, definitely. Great, solid advice. So talking about your personal kind of journey, you mentioned it a couple of times, you know, the legacy part, and you mentioned kind of leaving the breadcrumbs and, you know, leaving the, the podcast, the videos, you know, to your children so they can rewatch it, which is actually super cool. Because, you know, like our parents who wasn't available to do those type of things because the technology wasn't around. So that's mm-hmm. very cool. But what is the, like, when, when if we're going to go to the core kind of you know, piece of you and like, what will be that kind of a legacy thing that you're looking to accomplish in your life? Yeah, so um, I guess you can ask that, you know, what is my why? For me, mm-hmm. you know, the, the big why is my family. Uh, I think a lot of people might, you know, relate is for me, I, I'm a second generation immigrant. So my parents came from South Korea when I was super young. We actually went to New Zealand, lived there for a little bit, and then we went to um, California, United States. And we didn't grow up in poverty per se, but we are definitely lower middle class. Um, We are always renters. We had food on the table, but it was like paycheck to paycheck kind of lifestyle. So as soon as I graduated from high school, I was kind of cut off from any like financial assistance. Um, I had to start working immediately after high school, paid for my own college. I, I learned how to fetch for myself. And I, I think this was great, but there were definitely a lot of times where I look back and I'm like, I just wish that I knew about finances from my parents so that I didn't have to go through all this struggle. Like, you don't have to touch the hot stove to learn not to touch the hot stove, right? Mm-hmm. You can yeah. teach your kids, don't touch the hot stove. So I kind of want to share those lessons with my kids and even now with my parents. My parents are aging. They're looking to retire, but they can't. They have no savings. And they really look to me for advice. It's like, hey, Bo, my mom came to me the other uh, week and they're like, hey, we have XYZ amount set up. How can we make this stretch as far as we can before we head out into retirement and things like that? So my why is very strong. Yes, I can. Right now, I can, if I wanted to, subsidize my parents' lifestyle. They don't have a ton of expenses, but I make enough where I can cover their lifestyle. However, I, I'm from also the mindset, you know, when, when a plane is crashing down, you got to put on your mask first before you put on your kids or your parents or whoever. So I want to make sure I'm still working a W-2 job. I'm living comfortably. However, I want to get to a point where If I don't have to work, I don't have to work at all before I start helping those around me. And I also want to educate my parents. So basically what I'm trying to do is 
I've told them to cut down expenses, save, increase their income as much as they can, and then buy rental properties, do exactly what I do. And I'm managing it for them 100%. So I, whenever I tell my, my friends or family, I'm only giving them advice that I would do myself. So that is my why. Just It's like if you were to find a $600 iPad on sale for $50 at Black Friday, you tell your friends and family, right? I'm exactly the same way. I found this great thing called real estate. I want to be a good steward. Um, I, I'm, you know, I have, you know, my faith as well. And it, in what I believe in the Bible, it says, if, if you are granted, you know, two talents or five talents, you don't just bury them in the ground. You actually mm -hmm. double it and you do as much as you can as a steward of what has been provided to you. And for me, I was provided with this, awesome opportunity to help other people and help myself in the process. So I'm going to do everything I can to do that. And that's the vehicle is real estate. It's not about collecting as many doors as I want and say, Hey, I own this many properties. It's about what it can bring you. And the vehicle is real estate. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 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 And I love the fact that you, you just gave me a quick reminder of the story that you mentioned, you know, doubling down in your talents. I remember the story of, bring in the ground or doubling up and you know who's get the rewarded the most so that's a good story for you guys to follow make sure you you find that google it or find it in a good book uh but uh yeah it's awesome i, I love the fact that you're helping your parents and your parents are not like those 10 people that come to you you know and like they're always coming back they're always coming back for more for more advice because they see you succeeding you know and and they want to be close to you because again it's 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 you it's the family And that's why, you know, I want to encourage you guys and girls who are watching this episode to become part of Bo family as well. And that's what I would like for you to go and follow him on Instagram, Facebook, I mean, website, all these links are going to be down below so you can go and, you know, follow, connect with them, ask him questions, because that's what it's all about. I mean, this man can, I'm sure he will dedicate a few hours, a few hours, few minutes, few hours, depending on, you know, the conversations. Uh, so you can start your, you know, dream, your goal somewhere, you know, or if you're already doing there, how you can scale that faster. So, yeah, so it's been awesome. We really appreciate your time both today. Uh, I mean, great, great story, great journeys. You know, you're still continuing building your own business uh, while helping others. So it's, it's really cool. I appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for letting me share my story. That's no problem. So uh, guys and girls, again, from one, one last time, if you can share this episode with your friend uh, uh, who always talks about real estate investing, never pulls a trigger, uh, make sure to send this episode towards him or her, uh, because I know she or he is going to find a lot of great content in this uh, interview. So make sure to do that. Bo, again, big thank you for being today on the show. And guys and girls, as always, I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for watching.